Welcome to the Liberated Leadership Podcast, where we embark on a journey into the hearts and minds of extraordinary leaders. I'm your host, Steve, and I'm thrilled to be your guide through these inspiring conversations. In this series, we delve deep into the stories and experiences of seasoned leaders who have blazed unique trails in the world of leadership. We explore the very essence of the Liberated Leadership Model, a paradigm that I believe is changing the way we think about leadership. This model isn't about titles or hierarchies. It's about fostering authentic, impactful leadership in every corner of our lives. Liberated leadership model encourages us to liberate our potential, nurture trust and create environments where everyone can thrive. It's about leading with the heart. Our incredible guests share the personal journeys, the triumphs, the challenges and the wisdom they've gained along the way. They reveal their unique perspectives, invaluable strategies, and personal insights that have shaped them into the leaders they are today. But wait, <laughs> there's more. For those of you who prefer to see the magic unfold, we've also made video versions of these conversations available on the Game Plan Consultancy's YouTube channel. So you can watch the captivating interviews while sipping your morning coffee or during your commute. Be sure to check it out. So whether you're a seasoned leader, an aspiring one, or just someone with a passion for understanding the essence of leadership, you're in the right place. Get ready to be inspired, enlightened, and uplifted by the incredible leaders who join us on this journey. Without further ado, let's dive into the very first episode of the Liberated Leadership Podcast with Carrie Goldberg. Get ready for a heart-to-heart -heart conversation that may change the way you think about leadership. And welcome to another episode of the Liberated Leadership Series. And today I'm joined um, by Carrie Goldberg. Thanks for joining us, Carrie. Carrie, you've been described as a modern day entrepreneur. And I know you're a leader of multiple companies, which we'll get into today. And thanks for joining and for pioneering with us today. Thanks for having this me. New series. Thank you. And pioneering is like really a thing for you. Like you've been an entrepreneur and started companies ever since you left the corporate world. Can you talk us through why you made that decision? How did you come to the point of thinking, I don't want to be an employee, I want to be starting my own thing? Yeah, I guess my journey actually started in an unusual way. I studied Japanese and accounting. Mm. I lived in Tokyo, worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers, had applied to law school, thought I wanted to go down that road. And the best thing that happened to me was PwC giving me an internship. Right. It was meant to be four months. I ended up staying for two years. I loved living in Tokyo, but my experience at a very young age was that I didn't like the corporate environment. Mm. In particular, I found in that industry, and maybe it was also local culture-wise, it was more about memorizing information and regurgitating it, and there was not a lot of creativity or using your brain. Mm. So I was really shocked at a young age to see how people kind of fold into this sheep mentality mm. and don't think outside the box, don't challenge things, don't push the envelope. So I had my sliding glass doors moment. Um, uh, PwC offered to put me through law school in LA, split my time between LA and Tokyo, um, signing bonus, the whole thing. And my parents were like, you did it, exactly yeah. what you wanted. Yeah, made it. And the same day, a very, very good friend of mine opened a photography studio in Manhattan. And he said, look, I can't put you through law school, but will you come help me? You're the only person I trust. And I decided to go to New York. My parents wanted to kill me. <laughs> I, re I remember distinctly saying to them, I envisioned myself in 20 years being overweight in like a weird skirt suit with bad tennis shoes and having a drinking problem. 
And they were like, that's ridiculous. And I thought, but that's like sort of how I saw the path, just thinking like, how do you get up every day and not be inspired by your colleagues and what you're doing? Yeah. And I was young enough and stupid enough to just say, oh, I'm just gonna try something else. And that's how it happened. You, that was the route if you would have stayed in corporate, you, you think that you would have. That was like my like weird, like forward flash. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, ooh, I don't think that's, yeah. that's not gonna end well for me. I, I can't do this, no. I've gotta do my own thing. And then tell us about some of the companies you've started. So, yes, yeah, so I, I fell into this business in New York. I ended up helping open a photography studio, working on photo production, which I knew nothing mm. about. Uh, and then I got into events. Mm. Uh, so I started booking uh, this beautiful space for events. Uh, the owners gave me a goal of, I think it was like 150000 in eight months. And I booked $1.2 million in wow. eight months. Wow. So right place, right time. I just fell into this creative industry that I loved. I love putting deals together and being around creative people. Mm. So my business was born. I started one of the first venue representation companies in North America and subsequently got into pop-ups before the term pop-ups existed. Mm -hmm. So we went in-house at every nightclub, hotel, restaurant, and did all of their film, photo, and event bookings. And then in 2008, when Lehman Brothers crashed, I had collected this massive database of real estate people that were throwing parties with me. Mm -hmm. And they just kept giving me their empty commercial spaces. So my business pivoted around 2008, 2009 got less involved in hospitality, although it's still a big part of what we do. And now I have a huge portfolio of commercial real estate properties and we broker for most of them exclusively. So a three and a half year pop-up gym for Nike, Victoria Beckham's fashion shows, Brian Eno, mm -hmm. Madonna's world tour rehearsals, Beyonce, Lady Gaga mm -hmm. album launches. You know, We just finished a year long exhibition with the estate of Basquiat, so with his sisters and everything from a one day event to yeah, multiple year bookings and it's been a ton of fun. So that was the location side. And then simultaneously, all of those brands had come to me saying, you see all these amazing talent perform, who should we book for our events? Yeah. So I built up this database of initially female DJs mm -hmm. that then grew into really famous musicians that wanted to DJ. And I started handling all of their corporate DJ bookings. So we work very regularly with Louis Vuitton, Cartier, Chanel, Dolce Gabbana, Paramount, and they just trust us to have this amazing diverse roster of talent that knows how to work in the corporate world and we make it very seamless for them awesome so how many people do you lead directly now it was hard so in in the states i have nine total direct employees mm. but each venue then has people that fall underneath that i have a security team that works for me not exclusively but then again we have all these vendors that we oversee mm. and then in london in the other businesses i think we're up to about 50 people here now mm. So yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Can you remember the moment when you went from doer to leader? Do you know, I would say, so my, my father was an entrepreneur mm. and I remember he and my uncle sat me down and said, remember the reason why you're starting your business is because you love what you do in the business. When you start a business, you no longer really work in the business, you work on the business. Right. And I never forget that. And it, it took me a minute to pivot from wanting to get into the nitty gritty to then realizing I had to in order to scale, I had to train people mm. and step away. And then the biggest problem for me was letting go and letting them make their own mistakes and learn from it. Mm. And so I would say, I'm, I mean, I guess it would probably be two years into me starting my business that I really understood that I actually had to lead people mm. rather than manage, which is a completely different mindset. Yeah. Was there like a specific, um, you know, like road to Damascus moment or there something that crept up on you over time? I mean, I remember bits and pieces of I had a business advisor at one point I hired because I was I was having a hard time stepping away from 
the business and really focusing on growing it. I think mm. that's what you have to do in order yeah. to grow the business, you have to lead, right? Yeah. And so we set up all these systems and reporting mechanisms to help me manage the business. Mm. But I was invited to a wedding in Mexico and a birthday in Argentina and another birthday in Tokyo. Okay. And I said no to everybody for years. Okay. And he was like, you're going to set this up so that you can step away and right. go have a life. Yeah. And I did it and everything was fine. And I think that was like that moment where I could breathe. And I knew that if I had all these people in place and I had trained them properly and I was leading them with effective leadership, I could also have a life outside of work. Yeah. Yeah. And scale a business. So I've read actually on your LinkedIn profile, one of the people who recommended you said that one of the amazing things about you is, I've written it down here actually, oh dear. that what truly sets her apart from unscrupulous characters in our profession, however, is her integrity and honesty. So how is it possible to be honest and maintain your integrity in an industry that maybe that's not the norm? Well, I think I have to give my parents a lot of credit. I hate mm. to, you know, go back to that. But really, that was one thing that my dad always said, you know, honesty through and through. Like, mm. you'll, you'll never get into trouble. And something I'm really proud of is that music, hospitality, entertainment, there's nobody that can say that I was ever dishonest or yeah. that I owed them money or I didn't deliver. And I think because of that, you know, I... I I gained the trust of a lot of really difficult people in the industry mm, too. Yeah. I think it's either in you or it's not. Yeah. I don't know how to say, you can't train someone to be honest. Although, sorry, that being said, it is something that when I hire people, I explain some very baseline parameters of how we do business and things that are not okay. Mm. Um, and I think also too that they feel really proud to work in an environment where they always do the right thing. Yeah. And so it just has a knock-on domino effect. Yeah, I always think um, a phrase I hold myself to is two, two phrases, actually. One, it's never too late to do the right thing. You can always go back and correct yourself. And integrity is non-negotiable. It's important. You've got to do the right thing, even if no one's looking. Totally. So when you have the opportunity to, you're like, ooh, I could shortcut. Yep. No, I agree. And I have to say, it was funny. The other day I posted something and I quoted Ted Lasso, which is sort of the first thing that you said. It's never wrong to do the right thing. Yeah. And it's so true. Yeah. Even if it's hard and it's difficult. Yeah. You know, I've had some really difficult situations with big real estate people. Mm -hmm. And because I was honest and also I stood my ground, yeah. which I think I work in mostly a male dominated industry. Mm. They respected me a lot more in the end. Yeah. And some people say leaders never explain, never apologize. People say that's the royal family's approach. Does that resonate with you? I think it's circumstantial. Mm. I think it depends on who you're talking to. And I mean, last week I had to, to terminate an employment with someone. Mm. And I was being gentle until I couldn't be gentle anymore. Right. And I had to explain. Yeah. So I really think that that isn't a blanket statement that is true. Yeah, I get that. So there's a... There's a phrase in uh, Shakespeare, actually, in Twelfth Night. You've probably heard it. Some people are born great. Some people achieve greatness. And some people have greatness thrust upon them. I kind of feel like it's that, like that with leadership. you like born a leader or you just learn how to lead, even though it doesn't come naturally. Or someone, it's just like the circumstances are here and I just got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I totally I agree. Do you know, is one of those three more the case for you? I mean, I guess like I never really thought of myself as a leader. 
But then if you look back, if someone said, like I was saying to somebody, oh yeah, when prom happened, I had an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. I booked everything. Everyone got an invoice afterwards. I booked yeah. the limos. I had the kegs done. I had the horse and carriage, everything. But I think some people might say that comes out of a desire to be a control freak. Right. And fair enough. Like if someone puts me in con in control of something, I, I, I will do it the right way. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but I'm happy to let go. So I think that would you say I was a leader because I organized my prom? I mean, that was a, probably a bad example, but I wasn't afraid to take charge mm. and challenges never scared me. So I, I guess, yes, it just comes naturally to me to just jump in and figure it out. Yeah, that's really interesting that you said you never really thought of yourself as a leader. No. Is it just because what you were doing was your natural instinct? For yes. The situation? <laughs> yeah, no, and it definitely was. And um, also, like, you know, I've historically hired a lot of young women. Mm. And I would say that it's not because I'm like a raging feminist at all. Mm. It's just that I think that I started my business when I was 24, 20, yeah, 24. Mm. There weren't a lot of young men that wanted to come work mm. for me. But it was inspiring for young women to have a young female boss. Yeah. And I took it really seriously that I had, they could go take a job anywhere. So I think that I felt a, a big responsibility to properly train them and mm. give them leadership and skills. And when they told me they wanted to move on, I helped them find other jobs. And all my old employees, probably bar three of them over the last 20 years, still are in touch with me, come to company reunions, reach out to me when they mm. want new jobs. So I guess I never thought of it as being a leader, but then you're just, you're in that position and you don't have a choice really. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had this with people I've been mentoring a few times and my favorite definition of leadership is well, have a look behind you. And if there's anyone following, you're probably a leader. Well, it's you? funny you say that. So when I interview people, the guy that taught me how to interview was very interesting. And he gave me a method to interview people and I can get them to phase one, two, and three. And I can tell within 30 seconds if they're going to make it to phase two. Right. And then I, I can usually tell immediately within five minutes if I want to hire them. It's right. very fast. But one of the questions he always told me to ask was, do you think of yourself as a leader or a manager? Mm. Let them answer. And then you ask them to define leader and define manager. And it's really interesting because yeah. the answers are all across the board. <laughs> What's your favorite answer someone's given to that? Well, people just mix up the two yeah. oftentimes. And they're, and I, th mm. and I think actually, if I really had to think about it, when I interview young women, they're afraid to say they're a leader. Right. And because society tells them. Yes. No. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, the answer actually isn't right or wrong. Mm. I'm not looking for a leader or a manager typically, depending on mm. what the position is, unless it's like my president, I need her to be a leader. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting how you see them flip flop between the two um, yeah. and not really be able to define it. How would you define them? So, you know, a manager to me is someone that's given tasks and handles them well, but doesn't stick their head up necessarily mm. and isn't a change maker and isn't someone um, that is willing to necessarily lead by example mm. or give someone the structure to make a decision but not make the decision for them. Mm. Whereas, so for me in leading, I have a lot of young women here in London that work for me again and I've given them tidbits how to answer certain things. Yeah. I always say, are you comfortable doing this on your own? If you're not, you can definitely ask me, mm -hmm. but in order for me to lead and be able to progress the business, I have to give them the tools so that I don't have to be involved. Yeah. And so oftentimes I'll give them examples of things and then say, you're on your own. I had, again, I had to terminate an employee last week and the head of the department was very nervous about it. And mm -hmm. I said, this is a good, this is a really good opportunity for you Absolutely. to learn from this. Yeah. And so I led, but I also had to step away to give her, you know, some of the empowerment to, to learn from, you know, what needed mm -hmm. to be done. Yeah, I was like Drucker's definition of leadership is doing the right things and management is doing things right. 
and I'm said much more eloquently than me. me. <laughs> it's now, I mean, I guess that how he got to be such a <laughs> well-read author. But yeah. I remember having a chat with an old manager of mine. He's like, oh, okay, great. Well, I'll choose the right things for us to do and you can do them right. I was like, no, that's actually what I mean. Because I think you've got to do both, right? Absolutely. <laughs> not, yes. You can't, you've got to see it through to the end. You can't just say, and abandon this. We're doing the right things now and I'm not going to manage it. No, no, for sure. I mean, I, I was accosted by a band manager who will remain mm. nameless and I needed to set an example for the entire staff and, mm. and especially for the females. And I just said that, you know, I was willing to lose the next booking with this band to set an example, to also say to management and agency, it's not okay for someone to speak to someone this way. It right. doesn't it doesn't matter that I own the business. Yeah. It could have been anyone working in the business. It's not acceptable. So I, I said the manager is not allowed back in the venue under no circumstances. And my entire team said the band might pull the gig. And I said, fine, let them. Yeah. I said, there's no dollar amount you can put against this to have someone treat you this way. Sorry. And I think if, for the women, especially in my business, they were like, that's amazing. You know, yeah. like you're willing to take a financial hit to make a point. And I was like, yeah, of course, always for integrity, a hundred percent. Yeah. And is that the standards and the values you learned from your parents coming through again? Do you think that? I, I do think a lot of it. So I have three sisters right. and one of the things, especially with my dad, he raised us to be very independent women that could take care yeah. of ourselves. Great. And all of us have achieved that. They stressed education and um, integrity. Mm. And so all of us carry that through personally and professionally. But I also think, you know, that was also just starting a business at 24 in Manhattan yeah. and learning to kind of sharpen your teeth, to be honest. Yeah. Stand up for yourself and not that, get pushed around. Yeah, I guess that wasn't exactly a friendly environment to step into for your first no. business. No, in fact, my, um, I would imagine. my first job, actually my last paycheck, technically, the owner sexually harassed me really badly in public oh, wow. in front of a client. Wow. And I caused a huge stink about it. And I stood up for myself. And he was not prepared for that. Yeah. And it all ended in a very unusual way. I ended up having to sue them. And it was, it, was, it was very interesting. They owed me a lot of money. But they were not prepared for me to be so vocal about it. And what, what advice would you give to someone else who found themselves in that situation that you were in then? I mean, stand up for yourself. Set yeah. boundaries. You know, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. If you lose your job or whatever it is, like, you'll always look back on that and think, I should have done that differently. Mm -hmm. And I have no regrets that, yeah. I, that I stood up for myself at all. Yeah. Well, for someone who doesn't think of themselves as a leader, that sounds like leadership to me. Well, yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, let's get on to some things about your leadership style then, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so the nature of doing anything new and fresh is that there's going to be a lot of discovery. Like you go into a venture into the unknown, some stuff comes up, sometimes it's what you expect, sometimes it's not, sometimes it works out how you want, sometimes it doesn't. How, what do you do when things go wrong or maybe wrong's too pejorative a word when it goes not how you expect it to go? So it's funny. I think you, you literally just defined my last two years. <laughs> I was brought in on a project in Soho that was groundbreaking globally, but also for myself. And mm. I had, think I'd probably stagnated a little bit in work mm. where I wasn't learning a lot. So the discovery phase was so exciting for me. Mm. And there was so many unknowns and there were so many things I had never done before. A lot of things went wrong, like mm. a, a tremendous amount. I think, you know, for me, I always stay calm. Mm. I typically look for experts. I admit when I'm wrong. And I think as long as everybody knew that I was doing my best, nobody could really fault you. I don't really think that there's, in work, I don't think there's a place for extreme emotion. 
hmm. which maybe makes me sound like a serial killer or something, <laughs> <laughs> a sociopath. But I just, and you know what, actually, I think also too, a lot of it has to do with being a young female entrepreneur. And, you know, if a man reacts a certain way, yep. it's very different than if a woman acts a Absolutely. certain way. So probably by default, I learned to temper myself. Hmm. And everyone has always said that I have a great poker face. Hmm. And underneath, I might just be bubbling and just absolutely like, you know, on the edge, but I never show it. And so, so I think that staying calm and being honest goes back to integrity. If something goes wrong, admit it and find the right people to help you fix it. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things I've said to a lot of people when I've been leading is the only real failure we're ever gonna have is failure to learn. Yeah. So you can make as many mistakes as you want, but we would hope not to keep making the same ones. <laughs> well, so I say the same thing to my staff all the time. You can make that mistake once, yeah. but we're not gonna make it again. And yeah. I said before we started, you know, my contract was four pages when I started my mm. business. It's 26 pages now. And that was 20 years of failures and learning and mm. making mistakes and then making sure that they wouldn't be made again. Yeah. And do you ever have to go back to those clauses in the contract? Or do you think that by putting them out there up front, it, it sort of mitigates that need? I mean, I would say now the my venue contracts and my talent contracts in the States are pretty bulletproof and mm. very rarely do I get pushback on them. Yeah. And when people ask why certain clauses are in there, I can give them real life examples. Because they, so the, almost the contract has become that sort of record of your career history. In a totally. Way, or the deals, yeah. record of deals passed. Yeah, because even this morning my staff emailed me because we have sometimes six month year long contracts mm. and they asked me why certain terms were different. And I explained that I had done this huge Velvet Underground exhibition in Manhattan and it, they weren't selling enough tickets. Right. So they just trashed the place, locked the doors and left me with six months of no non-payment. Nice. So that happened once. It will yeah. never happen again. Yeah. My contracts have then changed. And when people ask me why they need to do certain things for those long-term contracts, I cite that example and yeah. there's not much they can say anymore. <laughs> no, it sounds like a good example of the true... The true expert is the person who's made the most mistakes totally. as long as they've learned from them. Yes. <laughs> that caveat being really important, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Around making the same mistakes all the time. You probably didn't get that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to throw another quote at you. I do love quotes. Okay. You'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> go, so, I need to write some down. Yeah. Where's my pen and paper? <laughs> so Voltaire said that doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. How do you feel about uncertainty in business when it's when you're in that situation of, where do we go next? Well, I would say I'm definitely also living in that at the mm. moment with one of my projects. I'm an annoying optimist. Mm. And I always feel like there's a solution. Mm -hmm. So I'm not worried about the unknown. I think doubt is normal. And there's a yeah. lot of like, you know, everybody has a bit of imposter syndrome, yeah, I think. Absolutely. So that you have those moments and you check and you think like, why do I feel this way? But I kind of love the unknown. And yeah. I don't mind the uncertainty of things. And I love putting pieces together and ultimately after years of working on my business, the majority of what I do is solve problems. Yeah. So it doesn't scare me like it did 20 years ago because I feel like there's always a solution. Yeah. So when you're in one of them sort of foggy situations, you know, not quite sure which direction we go next, how do you help your team and those you lead to focus on the, the very next thing to do? I mean, well, first of all, I've been very lucky to work again with a lot of young people and they have a totally different viewpoint and opinion on things than someone that has a lot of experience. So a lot of times I ask for their opinion. Right now we're doing some stuff in, in the Soho project and there's a lot of uncertainty and sort of scariness around some stuff. 
so I'm looking for them to feedback today. I have a, a meeting with them and I've asked them to come with unique ideas mm. and to think of things outside the box. I hate that term, but it's yeah. true, you know? So as much as I might have an opinion and I'll start kind of doing things from behind the scenes, mm. I really do lean on their new perspective mm. because sometimes experience isn't a great thing when it comes to that. If you have to have a fresh point of view. And do they, how do they respond to that? I think do they love they, it. They yeah. embrace it. I mean, look, everyone has a different, not everyone is, is maybe outgoing or, leadership style the same way but um i think that giving employees the autonomy and the and they feel like they have ownership over yeah. not only their personal life but yeah. their professional life yeah. gives them a huge sense of freedom yeah. and i i never like to put guardrails on people when it mm. comes to job titles which actually culturally is very different here than it is in the states right but i find that i get more out of people when they feel like they have freedom to push the boundaries mm. and not stay in their lane it might annoy someone else but i think yeah. that's totally fine so I have found that people really embrace it. I, yeah, I mean, autonomy is absolute. We could spend the whole time talking about autonomy, mm. we won't, but it's really interesting to me because I love it. So one of the things I've always thought about is, and I've seen, I've seen it done the wrong way, what I would call the fake autonomy, which is, hey, what do you think we should do here? And then the opinion's offered and it's like, mm, yeah, no, it's this. If you're going to ask for someone for their opinion, you can't then reserve the right to just tell them what to do in my opinion. No, I completely you agree. agree. I know I completely agree. And, and so we have these Wednesday meetings and there's the whole office and programming. And sometimes someone might say something and I think, okay, talk me through how that works. Mm -hmm. I want them to get to the reason why it may or may not work without me telling them why. So it might take a little bit longer, mm -hmm. but I at least want them to understand what direction they're headed yeah. and, you know, work through the process of what makes sense and what doesn't. I don't come with an idea um, saying this is how it has to end yeah. ever. You were saying earlier on the start of your leadership journey, the hard part was letting people fail and make their own mistakes. How did you overcome that? And then how, how would you deal with it differently now to maybe when you started out? Well, when I started, I think I felt like I had to be on top of every bit of detail, every minutia, every, so between the venues and the talent and all the events that we were booking. But it became, it got to a point where I was very lucky where it was unmanageable. Right. And so then that fear of failure set in like mm -hmm. you know if i'm if i'm not on top of this the the ball's gonna get dropped and really it was through my business advisor and some other big work opportunities that came my way where i had to let go mm. and i had to be okay with someone making a mistake and mm. oftentimes i had to fix it in the beginning right but now i think i look to my employees to to fix it yeah Unless it's something major. Yeah. I have an amazing president right now in Manhattan who runs my locations business and talent business. And she's an excellent problem solver. Mm. And every once in a while she says, okay, now I need you to get involved in this. Yeah. And she always says, like, I learned so much from you when you step in, yeah. which is nice. But, but I also want her to own her mistakes yeah. and own her solutions. And it shouldn't always be me that has to jump in. The mother figure shouldn't have to step in. And she's great at doing that. Yeah. And how do you manage around people's own imposter syndrome when you're when you're finding that sweet spot of where to intervene and when not to well i would say that i mean you pick up on it naturally i think yeah. oftentimes if you're doing this for a long time right. and i think if you ask the right questions you can get mm. someone to admit where they are emotionally and then figure out why they got there and how to give them examples of why they don't belong there that i mean i don't know if that was too esoteric yeah, no, 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 absolutely <laughs> i love that i love that answer actually i think asking 
I think if you're in doubt, ask a better question. That's one of my mantras. Completely. Nobody wants to be lectured, but yeah. I think if you can, I've always said to people too, like organization wise, I have my methods of organizing and mm. I can show you them, but I think there's such, it's like organization is such a personal thing Absolutely. and how you organize your day and your emails and your contacts and, and how you time manage. So as long as it gets done, I've always said to people, I don't care how it gets done, as long as it gets done. So you do it your way. That makes the most sense to yeah. you because nobody wants to be forced into doing it your no, way absolutely autonomy over technique is massive for engagement yeah. isn't it yeah okay that brings me on to the next next part really quite nicely actually so sometimes as a leader we can find those we're leading kind of got that intuitive sense of i'm not sure anyone believes in this have you ever found yourself in that situation yes what's, what's your response when you find that so, I mean, I, again, I was, I was lucky enough to start a few businesses that are still running that I've stepped down from running. And actually, if I think about it, you know, when I started the venue representation company, a lot of people told me, oh, people mm -hmm. have done this before. It doesn't work. Or, you know, Love people have that. tried this. It doesn't, you know. That. Well, let's never try again then. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> oh, but I wonder why, you know. Yeah. And similarly, I was very lucky to help a friend start one of the first art streaming businesses, which mm -hmm. is still the number one lifestyle streaming app on, on Apple TV. And I had so many naysayers in the beginning, right. but I really just innately believed in it. And I still do. I think it's, it's a really cool product. And I just didn't, I didn't listen to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I've definitely had failures along the way and, and the companies didn't grow in the ways that I wanted or expected. But I don't know. I think if you have a passion and a drive for it, you eventually find someone that's going to join you for the journey. Yeah. you just draw on your own belief for as long as you need to. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, there's, there's some things that I've stepped away from thinking like, oh, that was a nice try or this didn't work that way. But, but then you pivot mm. a little bit. And so like, so when my friend started the art streaming business, initially she just wanted to put up art streaming. I said, no, 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 you have to be able to divide it into channels and sell it to brands and sell prints and originals yeah. and yeah. do programming in hotels or whatever. And she was like, do you want to be my business partner? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. And, and it's since then it's pivoted even beyond that. Yeah. But yeah. I think sometimes the the biggest gift you can give to an individual is to believe in them. Yes. Uh, especially if they don't believe in themselves. Yep. Does that resonate with you? I, I get a lot of entrepreneurs calling me saying, um, do, would you help me with this? Or mm. do you believe in this? Or do you not? Um, I'm always very honest with them. Uh, I had a gentleman actually who built the back end of JetBlue, the booking. Mm -hmm. it, it was kind of revolutionary at the time. Okay. And he showed me a business he was doing and I said, this will never work. I'm sorry. Yeah. He said, are you sure? And I said, I'm, 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 I'm positive. I was like, yeah. these five things will never ever, that won't, it was on the event industry. Mm. So I'm very honest about it. But yes, I think sometimes just having someone that believes in you makes a big difference. I mean, even my project in Soho, my now business partner, who was a client of mine and friend, took a huge leap of faith and signed a lease on a property that he let me build and design with a massive team wow. before he even saw it. Right. And that was, I mean, that was... I wouldn't say pressure, but but the amount of belief that he had in me to be able to build this, operate it, and run it was tremendous. That's awesome, and that leads beautifully into the next <laughs> thing, which is trust. I wanted to talk about trust a little bit, and you've already mentioned it today. Like, my belief is around trust. It's a real simple answer to how you build trust, which is you act in a trustworthy way. Totally. And then you do it again and again yep. and again and again. Yeah. You really trust. Why do you think in that particular example you just gave... There's belief in you, but there's also trust in you. Where did it come from? Well, I mean, part of it came from a professional relationship. He hired me to do something mm. and I went above and beyond and I delivered. And and then 
we developed a personal friendship and spent time together mm. and, and he and I operate very similarly. Um, what you see is what you get, Yeah, you know? And so there's, there's no smoke and mirrors. There's tremendous honesty, no matter how painful it might mm. be. Um, and so we were just naturally sort of drawn to each other. And actually I did an interview for IQ magazine and I had started during the pandemic Paladin, which is a, yeah. a music agency, music and talent agency. And the three gentlemen that I started it with are known in the music industry to have integrity and honesty. Mm. And people said, you know, how did that happen? How did you guys find each other? And I do think birds of a feather. Mm. You just are naturally drawn to people that do business the same way that you do. Yeah. And I've dealt with a lot of dishonest people mm. and you learn how to protect yourself. But I, I want to be able to look in the mirror every day, yeah. whether it's personally or professionally and feel good about myself. And it's, I don't consciously make a decision to be honest. It's just natural. Yeah. So when, when you're in the leader position and you meet someone new, do they have to earn your trust or do they have it from you until they break it? So I would say I have a pretty good sense of people hmm. after doing this for a long time. So I would say my, I would say my spidey senses are up. Yeah. Um, I Don't get me wrong. I think people are fascinating. And hmm. I'm one of those people that if you put me on a tube or a bus or I could be sitting people always come up and talk to me it drives my right. best friend crazy she's like why is everyone sitting down and talking you look like such a bitch I think it's really funny um so I think people are fascinating and I love learning mm. from people um but I would say that through the years um I learned to set boundaries I learned better how to say no or mm. I might not be able to help you with that versus I think when you start your business you innately Think you have to say yes to everyone yeah and so through that and a roundabout way to your answer to your question i don't automatically distrust people mm. but it takes me a long time um let them in yeah that's really interesting and i love what you said there about curiosity about people i think it always amazes me when people don't have that the oh and they sort of recognize it's important they sort of do a fake curiosity so they ask a question but they don't listen to the answer really so sure why did you ask it exactly <laughs> Frankly, you know you've actually you're doing better off not asking it because you've you've made me think less of you sure acting in that curious way but I, yeah i'm the same i always want to know i guess that's why we're here today i want to know what 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 brings people to the journey they're on totally and, yeah i mean it's funny because um, i always think i have a very good friend of mine i grew up with and we were always saying when we meet people it's so interesting all the, the millions of paths you can mm. take in life and how people land where they are. And I always think when I learn from someone how they got started, like, well, you always put it back on yourself, right? Like, yeah. well, what, would I have liked that? Or what if I did yeah. that? How did he get there? How did she yeah. get there? Or like, what was the journey they took? And how did they end up in that place? And yeah, so I think there's always something to learn so from people. Learn. Okay, let's talk a little bit about ambition. It's a, it's a tricky one, right? So um, do you believe in reach for the moon to hit the stars or how do you find that sweet spot between non-credible you know it's just hot air and that's not ambitious enough well how do you find that sweet spot i mean i guess that's a really tricky question to answer mm -hmm. because i don't i think when people talk about ambition it's because they're comparing themselves to other people right and i uh, for whatever reason have the gift of not doing that i'm right. not looking over my shoulder ever or comparing mm -hmm. myself to people I'm, I love what I do. I feel really fortunate um, to love my work. Mm. And so it doesn't feel like work to me. It's just a lot of fun. Mm. So I'm not one of those people that has like a business plan or a path to an end goal. I just keep going. And mm. sometimes, I shouldn't say I don't compare, compare myself. There are some people that I started my, my company with along the same time and I see how much they've done. 
And, and of course you think, oh, if I did this, could I have done that? But at the same token, like, I don't know, I just, I don't, I don't have a clear path to what I'm doing or where I'm going. Opportunities present themselves to me mm. and it feels right. That's great. But I think that ambition, I think, is also often tied, what you said, like that's not ambitious enough or reach for the stars, mm. fear of failure or dropping the right. ball. And I don't have a fear of failure anymore. It's just more about being able to deliver and deliver quality and follow through with what I'm going to say, what I say I'm going to do. Wow. And it was funny because there was somebody that I worked with and he said, the most annoying thing about you is that you always do what you say you're going to do, which I thought was really funny. And I thought that's actually kind of cool. I'm, I'm actually yeah, quite, yeah, quite yeah. proud of that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a very yeah. definition of integrity, isn't it? So how, how would you help someone you were mentoring then or, or leading if you felt, I think they're being held back by a fear of failure? Having managed to get rid of your own. Well, so again, I, I, I end up hiring a lot of young women. Um, mm. And it's just really, truly by accident, I think. Uh, or maybe not if, you, if there was a therapist here. Mm. We'd probably delve into that. Um, I have a, a young woman who works for me right now, out of, straight out of university. And again, she's got, got a great poker face. But mm. then through months of me training her, she told me some of the things I asked her to do and how fearful she was and, uh. and how afraid she was to make a mistake. Oh. But she also said to me, like, you gave me such a great baseline and so many tools and I didn't mind having to ask you. Okay. So I think that I've always said to people, I would rather you ask me than make a mistake. Mm. And again, it goes back to making a mistake, letting people make mistakes. But if you don't know, ask me, don't be afraid. Yeah. And I think that it's important to be approachable as a leader and make people feel like, you know, you're never too good to roll up your sleeves. And right. it's something too, I've done all those jobs. I, I've done everything I'm asking my employees to do. And so I think if they know that and they remember mm. that you didn't just suddenly appear in this position, that you did all the same work that they're doing to get there. I think yeah. that is something that's really important. Yeah, that's again, a beautiful intro into the next one, which is feedback. <laughs> I have not read your questions yeah, in advance, yeah, no, by the way. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful flow. So, what is your approach to giving and receiving feedback? Giving feedback. So again, culturally, very different here than in the States. Okay. Can you talk um, about that a little bit? Yes. So I have found, especially in Manhattan, you know, people, and it goes back to job description a little bit too, sink or swim in New York, right? Right. And you always want to prove, and I said the same thing to my employees here, forget your job description, be more valuable than your job description, mm. stand out from the crowd. And like, you'll, you'll always be noticed and, you know, prove your worth. Don't just do the basics of what your job mm. description is that, but that is me speaking as an entrepreneur and a leader, mm. right? So maybe that doesn't resonate with somebody, but that's yeah. how you grow in a company, I think. And I find that here, a lot of people are very stuck to their job descriptions. So I've changed the way that I've written some of them. I've left mm. them a little bit more vague. Whereas in New York, it's more of an outline and a sort of feeling. Hmm. And people are happy to go off piste. And I'm, that's a great, that's great idea. Let's implement yeah. that, you know, feedback here. Interesting, like three months of probation. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know I had to sit down with someone after three months. So again, a big cultural difference yeah. in learnings here. And I think culturally here, because I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to just step out of mine. <laughs> you know, my general feeling is, is that the English sometimes say less hmm. because they are a little bit more conscious of hurting someone's feelings yeah. or putting something in writing. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the States and especially in New York, it's as direct as you can get. Yeah, right. uh, and it doesn't have to be mean or hurtful. Mm -hmm. It's just that I think that sometimes criticism, New Yorkers, Americans criticism is handled very differently than it is here. Mm -hmm. So I've had to temper some of the way that I explain things here to employees and I can be a little bit more direct in New York. Mm -hmm. Which do you prefer? Well, after working in New York for 20 years and just my personality, it's more, natural for me to be very yeah. direct but i've developed a softness here that i don't mind as well and mm -hmm. i guess that is 
I've always said to people when they come work for me, you need to have sort of multiple personalities to be able to do what you do. Mm. You're going to start your day with Big Bird. You're going to end with Puff Daddy. In between, you're going to have JP Morgan and a bat mitzvah. Right. And there's four languages you have to learn so. to speak. Mm. And so you can only really do that with people that are very comfortable in themselves and understand how to... I, I don't think the right, the right word is maneuver, but how to connect with people. Mm. Because I, there's loads of things I'm interested in. And there's loads of things that I would love to learn more about. But I think I can connect with people on multiple levels, even though, I'm, though I may not be a banker, you know, yeah, for example. Yeah. And I think I've just completely gone off piece again on no, yours. I think, <laughs> no, I think it makes perfect sense because coming back to that theme of curiosity, genuine curiosity about other people. And I think that is the core to great feedback. If I mean, when I've seen it done badly, it's because the person giving the feedback is usually from a position of anxiety, trying to bulldoze through the points that they've prepared before they walked in right. the room. Yes. And always, whatever feedback you have, there's got to be some response. To it. <laughs> Otherwise, why are you in the room? You might as well just send no, it on that's, an email. I completely agree. And it's interesting that you say that because, again, in terminating this employee last week, I had a rough idea. I didn't go with bullet points or things written down. Mm. It was a conversation. She's a human being. Yeah. And we had a human conversation about yeah. why things weren't working. Mm. And I think that completely changes the way that you get feedback from someone. Yeah. And your second part of your question about feedback, how do I take feedback? I, I love getting feedback. Yeah. I think I was told years ago that I used sarcasm oftentimes and it was off-putting. Right. And I really took it to heart. Mm. And I have... I trained it out of myself, I guess, right. sort of, because I have quite a sharp tongue and I'm quick-witted mm. and I know it, but it's not always welcomed in the workplace. Yeah. So I caught myself oftentimes before I would say it, saying, okay, this was, this would not be a welcomed response to that. Yeah. Do you still have to have the pain of negative feedback, if, you know, and just deal with that and then move on? Or have you managed to overcome that somehow as well? People giving me negative feedback. Mm. I mean, I would say professionally, very rarely do I get a lot of negative feedback. Mm personally about how I work. Yeah. It might be an experience with my business and I do take it to heart. And if there's a lesson to be learned there, mm. I absolutely, you know, look into it. And again, I apologize if it was something that was a mistake mm. on our behalf, but I don't frequently get it directly, yeah. maybe indirectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. We're running out of time. Uh, time's flown by actually. One last thing I did want to talk to you about is the whole subject of authenticity do you think it's possible to be completely authentic as a leader? Oh, so I definitely think of myself as being very authentic. And again, it goes, I know I said earlier, what you see is what you get with mm. me. But I think, no, I think the answer is no. Mm. The reason being is that I think, again, what I said before about having to temper some of my directness here, mm. is that me being inauthentic? Right. I guess in theory it is. Or is it just me being respectful of the situation and the culture and then again, that's me being authentic because I'm I'm conscious and I'm aware. I because of the amount of creative people that I work with and the twenty years of experience, I think I'm pretty good at picking up on body language and tone. And so you do temper your conversation based on that. And so is that then again being inauthentic or is yeah. it being, I don't know, proactive to move the conversation yeah. in a way that you want? That's a really difficult question. It is, and I think I don't think there really is a right answer to it. There's a really good TEDx talk, you might have seen it by Hermina Ibera about, she calls it the authenticity paradox. And they say, because some people believe there just is a true self that you can always be authentic to. I don't believe that. The reason is we're growing, we're, we're committed to growing. You've talked a lot about learning and growth today. And that means the me from last week, last month, last year is different to totally. the me today and me today. So to which self am I 
trying to be authentic. But then is it not authentic, though? I mean, I think that, again, it goes, I mean, it does go back to where you started. You have core values that you, that are non-negotiable. And to me, that's like the basis of your authenticity, right? So again, integrity, the honesty part. So I think as long as those things don't get pushed aside, Mm. people maneuver and they waver and you're a different person. I was a different person when I was in Japan, when I was in Germany, than when I was in New York. But the core of me is still very, very much the same. That's interesting. So I know advice that's often given to young women in business a lot is fake it till you make it. Do you think that's good advice? I know why people say that. And I have said that a f- couple of times to young women just as, as laughing through it, though. Yeah. That was maybe my sar- my sarcasm coming <laughs> out. I think there is some truth in that because, you know, people, people don't like to see people waffle. Mm. And ultimately, in most businesses, you want people want to feel grounded and strong mm. and like they have a place to be there. And I think that if you are visibly out of place, it's obvious. Yeah. Uh, so I do think I did that. Yeah. I totally faked yeah. it until I made it a hundred percent. I was told never to tell people my age when I started. There were rumors about how I got my business started and where money came from that the Russian mob had written me a check, which is not true. <laughs> I built the business on my own and with no investors, but people had to assume certain things, you know? So I definitely kept my cards close to my vest because I think I felt like I needed to. And so, mm. yeah, I, I, I do. There's some truth in fake it till you make it. There is. Is there a double standard there between women and men? hundred percent. And so you can, men don't have to as much? Yes, I think that men don't have to as much. Yeah. I, I would agree with that statement. Yeah. One of the one of the many uh, injustices of <laughs> the way our society is set up. Um, I'm intrigued to know the answer to this because it ought to be obvious, but maybe it's not. Do you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? Oh, well, I mean, I definitely think I'm an extrovert. Yeah. There, There's a lot of me that's an introvert, mm. but I love people. I yeah. love being around people. I love social settings. I, I'm i like a sponge. I mean, yeah. you can invite me to, I'll jump on a plane to go anywhere. I'll try anything that's new. Um, yeah, I'm definitely an extrovert. Okay. And final question today. Was that the answer you were expecting? Uh, it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, but it's not always the case, right? Because some people train them, you know, naturally introverted, but train themselves to um, be outgoing and no. then also you can be an outgoing introvert and a reserved extrovert you yeah know, which presents interesting <laughs> coping mechanisms mm. yeah so my final question is what do you find stressful about leading well so i mean i always say that the most difficult part of any job or company is the people management side of it mm. and you know it is I think the the most difficult thing is that people often forget that also you're a person and a human and that you can't bring your personal life or what's happening outside because they expect you to just constantly be in leadership mode. Mm. And I think also, especially too for women. Mm. And I find that to be difficult where it's like sometimes you just want someone to remember that you're a human being Mm. and that you do have feelings. I've often heard from other people that I'm terrifying, which I thought was hysterical. Right. Like really funny. Like I'm afraid of spiders, you know, like how can someone that's terrifying be terrified of spiders? Um, But I, um, I think it's interesting how people perceive you in that way. And they do forget that you're, that you are a human that has feelings. Yeah. Because leaders are meant to be tough, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Rule number one, never show vulnerability, right? Yeah. And um, I I would imagine it's another thing that's especially harder for women than it is for men. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, I think you're a pretty amazing human. Oh, and, thank you. And thanks for um, sharing that with us. Thank you. This was a lot um, of fun. Today. Thanks for having me. You said at the start you didn't know what you'd let yourself in for. No, I didn't. How, how did you find it? 
No, really interesting. Okay, yeah, great. I mean, it was really like thinking on the spot. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes I go back and I think, oh, I probably should. This was a different answer. <laughs> but it's actually better that I didn't know the questions because yeah. I would have thought too much about too much about yeah, them before okay. I came. Okay. Excellent. No, it was good. It was really like it was really insightful. It's like, it was like, I'm going to be doing a lot of thinking today. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you for joining us on this incredible journey through the Liberated Leadership Podcast. We hope you found episode one as inspiring and thought-provoking as I did. As I wrap up this episode, I want to extend my gratitude to all listeners, old and new. Your support means the world to me, and it's what keeps me going. I appreciate you being part of our growing community. To stay connected and ensure you never miss an episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast. We release new episodes every month featuring more amazing leaders, remarkable stories, and valuable insights. Remember, leadership is not just a title, it's a way of life. It's about inspiring others, fostering trust, and creating environments where everyone can thrive. It's about leading with the heart. Keep the liberated leadership spirit alive in your own leadership journey, and let's continue to learn, grow, and lead together. Drop by thegameplanconsultancy.co.uk if you want to connect with me. Until next time, stay inspired and stay empowered. We'll see you in the next episode of the Liberated Leadership Podcast. Subscribe, stay tuned, and lead with the heart.